Chapter Eleven of the Typewriter Girl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Typewriter Girl by Grant Allen. Chapter Eleven: A Sail on the Horizon. This story, you say, is deficient in love interest. My dear critic, has anybody more reason to regret that fact than its author? I have felt it all along. Yet reflect upon the circumstances. Ten thousand typewriter girls crowd London to-day and tis precisely in this that their life is deficient love interest remember i am only telling you my own poor little story and i am but an amateur story-teller the professional novelist keeps in stock in her study a large number of vats each marked like drinks in a refreshment-room with the names of their contents in gilt letters sensation character sketches humour and so forth she turns on the taps mechanically as they are needed but by far the biggest vat is labelled love interest no matter what plot the professional novelist may invent she lets this tap run as soon as her puppets are devised and drenches the whole work with an amatory solvent exactly as the chemist dilutes his mixtures with distilled water to eight ounces i however who am narrating to you the actual history of one stray girl among ten thousand in london what can i do but wait for the love interest to develop itself my name is juliet you may well believe i have had moments when i thrilled with the expectation of a romeo but romeos do not grow on every gooseberry bush it were unreasonable to expect that any mere man is sufficient you will admit for instance that neither the grand vizier nor rothenburg of the watery eyes was precisely the ideal knight my fancy painted st george to be sure was a dear but i suspected him of one fatal flaw being married i waited and watched for that not impossible he and the not impossible he still lurked unmaterialized when i came into my fortune of five guineas my first impulse was naturally to repay michaela which i did at once by post-office order and thus to transfer that particular square of mosaic pavement from its nether abode to some celestial mansion my second was to buy a bunch of tea-roses for my lodgings and my third to redeem my typewriter so as to return to st nicholas as some small mark of my gratitude thirty shillings from his latest benefaction on further thought however it occurred to me that thirty shillings in the hand are worth more at a crisis than a typewriter in the bush a mixed metaphor which not even the printer's reader with his officious query shall prevail upon me to rectify if no work came i could live upon capital once more meanwhile the machine could be of no possible service after three days my hands were so far recovered that i began to look about me for a situation again i took up a daily paper and in a column of mixed wants read another wanted advertisement lady typewriter with good knowledge of shorthand apply messrs blank and sons publishers and the address followed i liked the idea of a publisher's office and i liked that advertisement my theory is that a typewriter girl should call herself a typewriter girl 
but that an advertiser should do her the courtesy to speak of her as a lady typewriter or something of the sort certainly not as a parenthetical female also i must have literature the literature at my aunt's consisted of ladies newspapers bishop jackson on the sinfulness of little sins and books about the holy land here i should have access to the springs of culture so i hastened to apply for the vacant post i was not the first this time i met a girl on the stairs less strong than myself coming down from the office with a most dejected countenance if this were the struggle for life it made my heart ache for her sake to think i must engage in it however i continued on my way and boldly stated my errand to the young man in attendance that young man struck a keynote he was neat well dressed and had a black fringe of moustache in spite of which advantages he was not supercilious his voice was a gentleman's he told me mr blank would be disengaged in a moment meanwhile would i take a seat i sank into one and waited the office was quite unlike messrs floor and fingelman's the ante-room where i sat was exquisitely clean and neatly fitted up with polished shelves and woodwork an air of quiet culture pervaded the whole it seemed to communicate itself even to the clerks in the pigeon-holes round the room stood rows of books in glazed paper covers looking as spotless and as tidy as if a woman had arranged them well-known names adorned their backs as for dust it was not in a few minutes came the word mr blank will see you i followed my guide expecting to be ushered into a rather bare room with a venerable gentleman seated at a table i pictured him in fact as the exact original of the hale old greybeard who testifies in the omnibuses to the merits of eno's fruit salt for the firm is one of the most dignified in london instead of that i found myself in a neat study too cosy for an office too severe for a boudoir it had curtains of silken samarkand and fittings of cedared lebanon it had also a tawny oriental carpet and an old oak desk at which sat a young man of modest and statuesque countenance i guessed his age at twenty-seven he rose undecided as i entered like one whom native politeness impels to an act which he half fears is ill-suited to the occasion as he turned towards me i saw a face of notable strength and culture a finely modelled nose firm yet soft in outline acute brown eyes piercing but gentle abundant dark eyebrows that hung slightly over them and gave a masterful air to their keenness and penetration his hair was black and shaggy like a retriever's he was tall but well knit his eyes met mine as he gave a little inclination a thrill ran through me i knew him by instinct i said to myself a romeo i suppose i was the only person in london at the time who did not know that the head of the firm had lately died and been succeeded by his son an eton boy an oxford man who had taken high honours romeo waved me to a chair you have come i think he said in a rich clear voice pausing for a minute out of instinctive courtesy before he seated himself in answer to our advertisement yes i replied 
I understand you want a typewriter, girl. His eyebrows moved up at the words. I could see they produced a favourable impression. He was accustomed to the formula, a lady to typewrite for you. Exactly, he answered, folding his hands and trying to assume the official tone of a man of business. Though I was aware that he was unobtrusively observing my dress and appearance, not as Ahasuerus had done, like a cross between an oriental monarch and a horse-dealer, but like a gentleman of keen insight, accustomed to take things in at a glance without disconcerting the object of his scrutiny. He put me a few stereotyped questions as to speed and qualifications, which I was fortunately able to answer to his satisfaction. Then he went on in a deprecatory way, I must ask you, I am afraid, to write a little to my dictation, and then transcribe what you have written. Excuse this detail. One must test your ability. Of course, I assented, producing my stylograph. We have had applicants already who did not suit my requirements. One left as you arrived. I, I was sorry not to be able to engage her, for I judged her to be in want, but she was quite incompetent he spoke apologetically. I met her on the stairs, I replied. She appeared to be downcast. He gave me a hurried glance, for there was pity in my tone. It is so unfortunate, he said, that one must insist on competence, for often the incompetent most need employment. There is a beautiful story, I answered, about Robert Owen, when somebody patted the head of a very pretty child at his school at Harmony Hall. You are like all the rest, said Owen. You pat the prettiest. But it is the ugly ones that need encouragement. That was true philanthropy. He looked me through and through. I took out my notebook and assumed a business-like air. He reached down a volume of some history of Greece and began dictating rapidly. The passage, chosen of set purpose, was full of Greek names and rather recondite words of technical import. I saw he had selected it as a test of knowledge as well as of speed. I was glad I had been at, but that would be confessing. I wrote rapidly and well, more rapidly, I think, than I had ever before done, and I knew why. He was a Romeo. Do I go too fast? he asked at length, looking up at me suddenly with a gentle smile. Not at all, I replied. You might try a little faster, if you like, as you really wish to test me. And you know the names? he inquired with an incredulous accent. Perfectly. Please go on. The hegemony of Thebes was the last clause you dictated. He continued to the end. Boeotia thus lost the flower of her hoplites, were the words with which he finished. I wrote it all out in longhand, very clearly and distinctly. He ran his eye over it. But this is excellent, he said at last, glancing at it close. You have all the words right. You must have studied Greek, haven't you? I temporized. A little. He paused again. Then, after a few questions to draw me out, especially as to attainments, he began rather timidly. This is precisely what I want. I require a lady of education who can take down instructions and write letters to authors on the subject matter of their works without need for correction. But I'm afraid the post would hardly suit you. If you will excuse my saying so, you are too good for the place. I do not mean as to salary, 
that no doubt i could arrange in accordance with qualifications he glanced quickly at my black dress again but i fear i fear you will find the work beneath you you can set your mind entirely at rest on that score i answered frankly i will tell you the plain truth i am in need of a situation and shall be glad to get one he hesitated once more still i feel doubts of conscience he went on i will be quite open with you you may think me quixotic but i have ideas of my own social ideas some people might even say socialistic here is this work which i have it in my hands to bestow which i hold as a trust almost it would suffice to keep some poor lady's wants supplied some lady who is in need of actual necessaries now i do not think it right that young gentlewomen who have all they need already found them at home should compete in the market against poor girls in search of a bare subsistence they ought not to deprive such girls of bread in order to add to their own pin-money this movement for doing something on the part of well-to-do women is pressing hard on the girls of the lower middle class pardon my putting it so but you come from a home no doubt where you have all you require and you seek this work just to increase your income i thought it was sweet of him i could see i was exactly the person he wanted yet for a matter of principle he was prepared to take someone possibly less suited to his special requirements i was glad that i could answer with the ring of truth there you are quite mistaken i am one of the class whom you desire to employ in fact a girl in search of a bare subsistence i do not say so in order to appeal to your generosity i only wish to obtain work on my merits for what my services are worth in the open market but if as you say i prove a suitable person for your purpose in other respects you need have no scruple on the grounds you suggest about employing me i have nothing to live upon save what i can earn by typewriting he blushed like a girl of eighteen he was distressed that he had driven me into making this avowal oh forgive me he said rising again from his chair it, it was awkward of me to put it thus bluntly but you are so evidently a lady of education that i took it for granted you will understand my natural error i only hesitated to give a post which might be filled by a person in need of employment to an amateur who wanted occupation and pocket-money i quite understand i answered out bicycling last week i passed a common where shaggy donkeys with unkempt coats stood in the sunshine dejected hanging their heads as if they had been reading schopenhauer he looked up suddenly at the name with an inquiring glance but their mood was justified for geese were tugging at the short grass hard by nibbling it close to the root and i felt the four-footed beasts might well be melancholy at the struggle for life when birds winged creatures that may career over the world took to competing with them by grazing like cattle and snatched the bread out of the donkey's mouth his face wore an amused smile but you are learned he put in you might obviously be engaged in so much higher work a teacher's for instance i should hate teaching i cried vehemently i prefer freedom i am prepared for the drudgery of earning my livelihood in a house of business 
but i must realise myself i understand that he answered and and sympathise with it well i apologise for my mistake under the circumstances we need only proceed to arrange the business part of this transaction he named a weekly sum it was my turn to blush that is too much i exclaimed i could see he was fixing it not by the market price but by what he thought a sufficient income for a person of my presumed position in society it was all so alien from ahasuerus way of hiring a shorthand and typewriter female not for so competent an assistant he answered still nervous awkward as it might be to begin one's relations with a new employer by an apparent contest of generosity yet i could not accept the sum he proposed i told him so in plain words he insisted i beat him down after a brief but well-contested skirmish i camped on the field as victor though we compromised for a wage a little less than half-way between what he wished to give and what i was prepared to accept it did not escape me at the time however that such a first step almost of necessity entailed a certain sentimental tinge in our relations they would scarce be those of employer and employed as regulated by custom and political economy when all protocols were settled he went on can you come in at once to-day if you wish it oh that would be such a convenience to me i have matters to settle which i do not wish to hand over just now to my clerks it was my desire that you should act as confidential letter-writer in my dealings with authors quite outside the business i will begin this afternoon i said our typewriting machine the one i intended for you is i forget precisely which make he mentioned but it was one to whose keyboard i was unaccustomed can you work with it no i answered but i have my own i will bring it how kind of you though you must not continue to use it of course we have no right to impose upon you the wear and tear if you will tell me which sort you prefer it shall be here to-morrow meanwhile for to-day if you would bring round your own i should be greatly obliged to you i will go and fetch it i said remembering that it lay close by in st nicholas safe-keeping how in a cab i smiled his politeness positively embarrassed me no in my hands i replied i am accustomed to carry it but typewriters are so heavy he remonstrated i felt his anxiety to treat me like a lady was leading to complications and i half regretted the grand vizier's lofty sense of masculine superiority had you not better take a cab no i answered with firmness for i felt i must put a stop to this strain at the outset an employer should know his place i can carry it easily thank you he looked at me with a curious look i suppose i have the average endowment of feminine intuition and i felt sure he was debating in his own mind whether or not he should tell me to call a hansom and charge it to the office it was my own old duologue of inclination and duty inclination said make her take it duty interposed you must begin as you mean to go on this is an office matter if she cannot work your machine and wishes to bring her own she must convey it at her own expense you have no ground to stand upon 
after a pause in which as i could see either impulse got the upper hand alternately he compromised the matter is it far he inquired close by i can fetch it in five minutes then one of my clerks will step round with you and carry it for you i blushed bright crimson i had imagined shyness to be like sensibility hysterics and fainting an obsolete disease of the early victorian epoch i now knew that it survived into our own time i could feel the hot blood flooding my ears and cheeks and running down my neck what on earth could i answer how let the clerk see where i had left my machine how confess to romeo to whose keeping i had confided it he could never understand that to a girl of my temperament those golden balls were but the mystic symbol of the saint of myra i knew not what to answer i stood still and blushed and my blush it was that betrayed yet saved me lifting my eyes one second in a mute appeal i saw right into his soul as he stood there facing me more nervous more embarrassed than ever i saw he divined that i lived in some poor quarter or had a drunken mother or something equally discreditable and was ashamed to let his clerk know it but he withdrew like a gentleman that he was to the finger-ends how stupid of me he went on i see of course it would be unpleasant for you to walk down the street with one of my clerks though they are nice young men all of them excuse my gaucherie but you are coming in at once to oblige me i ought to have arranged to have a machine here to suit you won't you please take a cab and allow me to-to charge it to the office he had got it out at last i changed colour once more to hide my shyness for to my vast surprise i was speechlessly shy by this time i pulled out my handkerchief as fate would have it fate that mocks at human souls i drew with it from my pocket a little square of blue paper which fell face downward on the floor how can i confess the truth it was the counterfoil or ticket i had received for my machine from the representative of st nicholas End of chapter 11